Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. As a sex and love addict, I really need to get myself organized for my safety and recovery. Are there good resources to help put together a good recovery plan with consequences selected by the addict for themselves and agreed on by the partner? Um, Hmm. Well, I think that a good therapist who is trained in this work can put together a very clear schedule or organized structure that will tell you what is okay and wasn't what is not okay and when you need to do this and when you need to do that. I mean, that's our job and we're trained in it. But lacking that, I want to go back to what Tammy said about 12-step programs, which is if you seek somebody who is not afraid to tell you, call you on your BS, if you are not afraid, if you're working with someone who you can, you're asking for, not ducking under or pretending it's okay, but really asking for their guidance, you know, ask them, what should I do in the evening when I come home? What do you do? What should I do when I come to a meeting and this and that? I think people who have what you want or people who you're paying to be guides should be able to give you very clear direction about what you need to do. Um, By the way, you can raise your hand at a 12-step meeting, and I assume you're going to lots of them, and say, I don't know how to be more accountable, more responsible, more responsive, and I want to learn, are there people around who can help me? Go out for coffee after the meetings, now that we're meeting live again, and sit down with these folks and tell them what you're struggling with. The resources are all around you. It may well be that you're not fully listening or asking the right questions. by the way, I do want to say that, and I, I know the partners won't like this, but I, as, as a addict, I do not want my spouse to be my parole officer or my mother. I have a responsibility to you, my spouse, to let you know what acting out is and if I've crossed that line. But it is not your job to evaluate as a spouse when I look at someone and I find them attractive or I have some fantasy or I drive through the wrong neighborhood. That is for me to go to my sponsor, my program my therapist and discussed. My job with you, the spouse, is if any bottom lines get crossed, you need to know immediately. Um, But every little thing that comes up, if I go to my spouse with that, things will never get better because they will constantly be provoked because we do often see someone attractive or look at the right, look at the wrong situation. You know, we do, we're not perfect. And I'm not saying we're acting out, but it is my responsibility to seek the support of others who are on the same road as me. And if things get if things come up that would truly hurt my spouse, I need to tell them. Um, I also think one more thing, and Tammy, we, we may not get to all the questions tonight, but I sure hope this is helpful. Um, one of the things that I ask anyone who's supporting an, another addict to do is when you call them and say, I am going to go act out, not I just acted out, but you reach out to them before, which is your responsibility. That my job as a, someone who's guiding you is to say, well, I hear all the things you're excited about going to do, but how will you feel afterward? That's one of my favorite questions to ask an addict is they're so focused on the moment that's going to be so amazing and whatever, they forget that afterwards they're going to worry that they have a disease and they're two hours late and they spent this money and they have to lie. And, you know, so I think a good responsible person who's guiding you will really ask you to call before or reach out before texts, texts are good. And also to sit down and talk about what is going to happen after you do this um, to help 
you know, shake you a little bit about what, what's really going on. Okay. So, yeah, and I read, I'm trying to do this all by myself. I need to get organized. I need to figure this out. I need to set the consequences. And I'm going like, mm-hmm. mm, disaster. So I love that Dr. Rob talked about professionals and sponsors and group. You know, I also put in the um, chat, the next Sex Addiction 101 work group is going to start. That's a great place to get some guidance that, you know, they have a relapse prevention plan and you have the opportunity to talk That's to true. the you know other people in the group about, you know, I'm thinking about putting this here and this is what I, you know, I mean, like, great, you know, that. And, and we have support sessions, 25 or 50 minute support sessions. We've had people bring their three circle plan and go over it with, you know, someone to discuss that specifically. Do I have the right things? You know, the, our best thinking got us here. So we need other people who have been, you know, are on the journey to help guide us. So, so I really hope you lean into the, to the support and guidance um, uh, and partners do have, you know, they, they do have some um, input on, you know, like if you break a bottom line, what is the consequence? They, you know, it may be a therapeutic dis- you know, separation. You know, they do get to have some input on that. So, okay, next question. Dr. Rob has said that most couples who have been together for many years stay together. My perception is that the vast majority may stay married, but their marriage is sexless and a shell of what could or should be. And that the healing from the damage from betrayal is so rare that even the addict even if the addict is in recovery. What is your experience with this for couples when the addict has come to SI or in general? That is not okay, my experience. So, so well, yeah, I mean, I, I go would ahead. say yeah. um, a couple of things about this. Um, yeah. So I, if you take away the sex addiction um, as an addict, I have a much um, larger issue at, play, which is I have trouble with intimacy. I can have sex with all the strangers in the world because I don't know them or an affair partner because they're not going to let me down or disappoint me. But sex with someone I'm as close to as a partner, to be honest with you, can be scary. Um, I think that there is a process toward gaining intimacy that doesn't start with penetrative sex. It starts with holding hands and going on dates. And, you know, when we talk in treatment about what is intimacy, we don't mention the word sex. What we talk about is revealing yourself, being honest, being vulnerable, and taking the steps toward connection. Um, so, um, yes, and as a sex addict, I will tell you, I've been married for 20 years, and when I get in bed with my spouse, I would rather read the paper than have sex because um, it's something that I have to find my way to. I, I will say often to addicts that sex and recovery is more about willingness than horniness you have to understand that our our uh what made us turned on to have sex is so intense so powerful to us so much heart beating adrenaline that we look at a spouse that we've been with for 10 years and we don't have that feeling so how do we evolve sexuality as an addict without returning to that intensity we have it comes through holding hands and looking each other's eyes and giving massages and talking and guess what I might get excited and guess what? We might have sex and guess what? It might be the best thing in the world, but it didn't come about through my looking at you like porn. Um, So I think there is a healing process for addicts to become more willing to be sexual and to understand different ways of being sexual than we have ever done before. It's different. The other thing is about, um, about the relationship. You're right. The relationship will never be the same. I will never ever look at you as a spouse and think, 
that you have my back when you leave the house, that you absolutely are on my side because I now know that you can go out in the world and deeply hurt me and do things that you know are going to cause me pain and you do them anyway. Now I know that. So once the original trust in the relationship, uh, and I would say sometimes naive trust, has been destroyed, it will never come back in the same way. You know, you break a plate, plate, you're going to always see the crack when you glue it back together. And it's the same thing. But can you be deeper, more deeply intimate in, in ways that you've never been before? Can you be more open, more revealing, more trusting and have healthy sexuality? Yes. But that original naive trust that you will, whenever you're out in the world, you would never do anything to hurt me. That, that is gone. And the relationship will never be the same. It'll be different and it might be better, but it will never be the same. By the way, if you're so unhappy in a relationship, this might be a time for some couples therapy or some sex therapy or ways to work on this very issue. Um, yeah. Oh, there is one more thing. I, I, and maybe Tammy, you have had a different experience. We're about the same age, which I'm not going to tell them what that is, but I don't have sex with my spouse the way I did 20 years ago. You know, I'm older and I'm not as, not as uh, my hormones are not racing the way they did in the past. So I might give up that intensity based sex, which for me was like drinking, um, you know, it was about completely obliterating my feelings and disappearing into something. But that doesn't mean I have a clue what healthy sexuality and intimacy might be. So anyway, that's my long response to that question. And, and I think to me being more deeply connected on a on an honest and vulnerable, you know, physical contact and whatever that comes from is meaningful. So, you know, like you said, it's not just about penetrative sex or giving up and going, well, we used to have that 20 years ago. And now, you know, you've, you've ruined all of that. I, I, I have too many couples that eyes wide open are finding, you know, a different path forward and it is more meaningful for them. So I honestly believe that there is hope and healing, you know, for those that, that choose it. So, okay. Next question. My PASA husband has been, has for the last five years since discovery accuses me of all kinds of underhanded behavior, constantly accusing me of cheating. He goes into pretty descriptive sexual perverted things. He says, I'm doing no proof will oh. change his thinking. He says he doesn't need proof because he knows I am doing it. Just the other day, he called me a whore because he told me someone told him uh, someone liked me in high school, which was over 40 years ago. What is going on here? It's abusive. Yeah, that is like that almost makes me wonder if there's like mental health issues or something. Don't you think? Bingo. Oh, so there is okay. a, a disorder, a psychological disorder that is um, I have to look it up because I don't have it in front of me, but it's a delusional disorder and it's a fixed delusion. So I might be in another arena. I might be absolutely convinced that, um, that something's going to happen if I do a certain thing. And no matter what you tell me, I believe that it's this way. And I can't be talked out of it because it is part of my whole sense of self. So there is a jealous, I can't think of the name of it. Um, I have to type in or but there is a what is a delusion it's when you when you think something is a particular way and it's just not true and no matter what you say that person cannot see it so number one it it is a sound like a psychological and emotional problem that goes way beyond addiction i agree with tammy this feels like a mental health problem and certainly some something that um 
should be evaluated in a uh, with somebody who really knows what they're doing. Um, again, this is somebody who might be really do well in residential treatment, but someone who's reaching back to that past and calling you names like that in the present, they're disturbed. And I don't, I, God bless them. I hope that they do well, but you don't have to take that from them. In fact, I'll tell you a story years and years ago. Thank you, Tammy. She put in types of delusional disorder. Years she and years ago. A person with this type believes their spouse or sexual partner is unfaithful. It's in the DSM. And what is it called again? Can you say? I didn't. No. It says three types of, of delusions and delusional disorders. There's erotomanic, and I've got mm -hmm. it in there, grandiose, and jealous. A person with this type believes their spouse or sexual partner is unfaithful. Yeah. I, I also, um, I've also seen, and this is really sad. Um, I had a person come into treatment many years ago. I, I sort of wanted to write this case up, whose spouse in this case, it was a husband, had convinced her, had been so abusive over so many years that she thought, well, maybe I did do these things. And maybe he's right. I mean, she herself became crazy. And I actually saw her in treatment because I was doing outpatient and we were seeing women as well. I was. And um, I really thought, oh, she's a sex addict. She's doing all this stuff. And the more we went, the more I realized that what she was saying was, my husband told me this and my husband told me that. And over time, we call this craziness for two. There actually is There actually is another diagnosis that says when you live with a crazy person long enough, you take on their craziness. And in the, that case, the woman was so devastated by this constant accusation that she was doing things that she wasn't doing that eventually she just thought, well, maybe I am. So I think your mental health is also at stake here. I think you're asking the right questions. But to, when you say no proof will change their thinking and their problem is escalating and they're calling me, this is someone who's really got some problems beyond sex addiction. And, you know, I, if they're on here, I mean, you no judgment. I really hope that you get some help because you're going to lose your relationship over this. As well, you should, because you can only drive somebody so crazy. Um, thank you for bringing that up, Tammy. Did you not? I mean, that's something that I, that shocked me when I went to school. Isn't that a kind of an? Uh, it's unusual to see that. Yeah. Well, but it was just that the pattern and so insistent that you kind of go that this is. I mean, because especially in the light of proof that to the contrary, right. you know, that is so fixated. So I'm Delusions really sure. Delusions are a so. fixed and unchanging belief. Um, that isn't true. Okay, next question. And I know we're on um, borrowed time for you. Okay, hi guys, thanks for the service. I am currently seeing a psychotherapist that deals in addiction, but not specifically with sex addiction. As a recovering PA, I attend 12-step as well as group therapy for sex addiction. My therapist doesn't specialize in essay, but I have gotten a lot out of our sessions. And so far, my best experience with therapy today will not be seeing it. Well, not seeing a CSAT hurt my recovery. Well, I think it's really important to have someone that you trust and you think is useful um, and that you can lean on is meaningful. I would never want to take that away from you. But I think, and also it, it is absolutely true that you cannot see two therapists at the same time because one person tells you this and one person tells you that, and then what the heck do you do? However, therapy can be additive. In other words, maybe there's someone who's doing group therapy in your community with sex addicts. So you can see your therapist individually and then go get 
excuse my language, knocked around, battered a little bit in your group therapy. And then you go back to your therapist and say, wow, that was really hard. I had to do disclosure. I had to do this and that. And your therapist can support you. Um, we teach courses. There are all kinds of things. You go to treatment, all kinds of things you can do that are additive rather than I have to go from this person to that person. There were times when I was working with a client who had a therapist that they appreciated and valued. And I would call that therapist with permission, you know, obviously release and say, would it be okay if I work with your client for six weeks and just kind of help set them on the right path and then, you know, send them back to you or have you see them at the same time. So I can, I used to say this, do the dirty work. I can do the hard stuff. I can be the bad guy, if you will. And then, you know, rules, structure, challenging, and then they can go back and work with you and deal with the feelings they have about that. So while you cannot see a therapist uh, uh, for the long-term individually, you can use another therapist as a consultant or a guide for a, a specific period of time. You certainly can go to group therapy for sex addicts forever and also see your individual therapist. Um, but the bottom line is if you're continuing to act out and I didn't, uh, you know, first of all, you can- I don't read that. Me. Yeah, so go ahead. So here's a thought for you. Um, and I, you know, if you're really struggling and you want more help, go see your therapist twice a week. It go to go to four meetings a week instead of two. Up the ante on the work that you're already doing and see if that makes a difference. Um, yeah, that's my best answer. Well, and I put in, because you, you mentioned sex addiction, but you said as a recovering porn addict. So I put the link for the Porn Addiction 101 that starts on June 18th. And that is not in place of working with a therapist. I have CSAT trained therapists that send their clients to those because, um, because the information that you gather, then you take that back and work with your therapist. Your therapist gets addiction. You know, like you may be able to supplement like with those work groups and things and be able to bring back information that you need to work on specifically with your therapist. So, so that might be another way to supplement like Dr. Rob was talking about as well. Tammy, let's answer the next question and then let you guys know I'm going to okay. leave just a few minutes early because tonight in your time zone, um, you know, um, A&E um, is presenting a show called uh, Addiction, sorry, Digital, Digital. Addiction. And I've had the opportunity, Arts Entertainment Network, and I've had the opportunity to do some shows with them and try to, well, it's a documentary, and uh, try to support some of these people. And so tonight is one of the nights I think one of my shows is going to air. So I will cut up just no, in a minute. I, I'm going to clarify. It's the premiere of the show, and you are one of the experts on it. So it's not just like, oh, you're on. No, this is the premiere of, the, of this show. So anyway. Well, Tammy, okay. it sounds like you're proud of me. I am. No, I like raising awareness. I mean, there's, there's so much misinformation out there. So, right. and I'm hopeful. I, you know, I have binge watched intervention shows and I'm sitting there going, no, get out, get out, you know? So, so I always want people to get recovery. And so if this helps bring healing and education and information, there's so many people out there that post, you know, and they've got no background in this. So having you that have decades of experience have done this work, you know, to be able to help carry a message, I think is good and meaningful. So, okay. And I think so they got the, that. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. Last question. Um, I, I have just discovered concerning. my husband and partner of 11 years has been a sex addict for our entire relationship. I don't know where to begin. I'm concerned about my pubescent daughter, even to be around my husband anymore. He has a history of corruption of minor. Uh, he has a history of corruption of a minor as well. What do I do? Okay. I don't know what corruption, corruption of a minor means, but I have a feeling it's not a good thing. 
Um, and, you know, one of the questions I would ask myself, since I don't know what you mean uh, directly, but let me say this. If, uh, if this behavior was known by uh, police, would they come over and arrest him? Would they be, in other words, I think if you're not sure how bad it is, think about, well, if someone else in a position of authority were to know about this, what would they do? So in any case, to answer your question, sex addict or not, first of all, most sex addicts, if not nearly all, are not perpetrators. I have, again, I've run into certainly people who looked at the wrong images online, for sure. I have worked with people, not worked with a lot of people as sex addicts with hands-on offenses. Some do. So if there's a history, I worry. The reason I'm saying these two things is a lot of you spouses think, oh my God, if they're doing this out of control sexual behavior, what about my kids? And the answer is that would be very unusual. I don't, there is a, there is a meaningful difference between compulsive and addictive sexual behavior and sexual offending. However, um, there are sex offenders who have patterns of compulsive sexual behavior. And if someone, so I agree with you, I would be concerned. Um, I would probably begin by talking to my daughter about what is safe and what is not. I would probably be concerned about, you know, showers and bathtubs and putting her to bed and all of those kinds. I mean, I think your concern is, is very, um, very well, uh, I think it's meaningful considering what you see. Um, the what do I do thing, you know, I, I really, the first thing I think of is go see a professional who can help guide you and make decisions. I would not want to be stuck in this situation alone. I don't think that a partner's group or going to a 12-step program is enough for the situation. I really, really, really think you need professional guidance. And we are trained, hopefully, to know what to do in a situation like this. Um, and I would ask Tammy for a referral. By the way, if you don't have the resources or the money, you don't have to see someone forever. You can say, I'm going to see someone three or four times to get a sense of what I'm dealing with and how I should deal with it. Tammy is T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com. And Tammy is such a great resource for uh, therapists, for things to read, for, you know, we'll be glad to help you find someone where you live who can help you evaluate the situation. I wouldn't want to be alone in this one. And I'm so, so glad you're here to bring up these questions. Um, Tammy? No, I, I agree. I just uh, typed in my um, uh, email address. Yeah, and, and you can, on either of our sites, you will also... If you register, you will get to me. So you will get an email with resources. Um, but you know, people sometimes just sign up for that so that they get the email. Sometimes people are sharing, this is what's going on. So um, I try to do my best to answer and give relevant um, resources for you. So. And Tammy, I have to say, okay. before I say, everyone loves you. I have to say, when I do these consultations, everyone, especially the spouses, but I often hear, God, Tammy was such a great guide, or Tammy gave me mm -hmm. so much information. She's really hung in there with me. Or like you said, she answered all my emails and it was overwhelming. I really value, and I want to say this in front of everyone, the amount mm -hmm. of time and care that you give for these folks. Because tonight there are 45 people on here. I can only imagine how many calls, how much email you get. So Thank you for doing that. I really Thank value you. it. And so do they. And they tell me. So oh, I appreciate have that. A Thank you. So. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.